keeping them in prayer, and, and uh, again, praise God for the hope of the gospel. So let's get into God's word here tonight, Leviticus uh, chapter 5, I'm going to move some things around up here, and uh, we've been in Leviticus four weeks, it's our fifth week, and we've been doing pretty good, haven't we, a chapter a week. Uh, the last four weeks, we looked at four different offerings that the Israelites would bring before the Lord, they'd bring to the priests and so forth, and they'd be, off, be offered up for them, the first being the burnt offering. Remember, that's that picture of, of the call to lay it all down before the Lord. As Jesus came and when he was on this earth, he, he came to do the will of the Father at every turn. And he came to fulfill the call of the Father upon him at every turn. And ultimately, that was going to the cross of Calvary to save us. And uh, we know that we've been called to present ourselves living sacrifices. And uh, again, uh, Jesus did that first and foremost. And then in him, he's called us to walk in that. Then we looked at the meal offering, and it's an offering of thanksgiving. It was an offering they brought of uh, thanksgiving to the Lord for the covenant they had with the Lord. And in the meal offering, we looked at a few things there. Remember, it was offered off. It was was, uh, flour uh, that was sifted, and it was beat 13 times, became fine flour. And absolutely, it's a picture of Jesus Christ, who was beat for our transgressions. In a way, he was sifted for us. And he was also the first wheat that went into the ground that more wheat could come up as well as he is the first fruits of the resurrection then in chapter three we looked at the peace offering and uh, again we saw that it was a type of thanksgiving offering for the peace they had in the lord and it was also an offering of of exchange of laying burdens down to take up the peace of god and uh, absolutely we have our peace in the lord jesus christ he said in the world you'll have tribulation but be of good cheer i have over come the world and we see a a a invitation there as well uh, through jesus christ to come to the throne of grace to obtain help in our time of need to absolutely lay our burdens at his feet and in turn take up the peace the the knowledge to know that he cares for us as we're told there in uh in peter to cast our cares upon him not just saying oh i'm not going to worry about it but cast our cares upon him knowing he cares for us knowing the promises we have uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to all of those that have called on his name as promises are yes and amen and that's a glorious thing and then last week we looked at the sin offering and the sin offering being a picture of of offering up again uh, a a beast without spot or blemish uh, for uh, an individual sin nature and we saw there again in the garden Adam fell and all of us are sons and daughters of Adam with a sin nature. We have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. <coughs> God's standard is perfection. And uh, we have no hope in of ourselves. And we need one without sin to die for us. Just as sin came through one man, salvation came through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he would bring that beast, they would, they, there was an acknowledgement of, of their sin nature. It was an acknowledgement of even sin they committed that they were ignorant of which again, we, we have that type of sin in our life because we have that sin nature. And they were saying, Lord, take, take my sin and place it, place it on, on this beast. And again, ultimately that was fulfilled. Praise God in, in Jesus Christ who uh, died for the sins of the world and even tonight offer salvation to whoever, whoever would humble their heart and call upon the name of the Lord. And then tonight, as we come here to Leviticus 5, we're gonna talk about the trespass uh, offering and in the first seven or so verses we're going to actually talk about uh, some specific sin that 
perhaps they would commit, and then once they became aware of that, uh, they were to uh, take an offering for that specific sin uh, to the Lord. And I believe it's a picture of us in Christ who have been covered, uh, you know, by the blood of Jesus for that sin offering. Listen, the Lord now wants us to walk in our Christianity. And you look at, you know, uh, epistles like 1 John written to the church, and he says, uh, uh, you know, if we say we're, we're without sin, we lie. Uh, and when we see those sins in our life, uh, though we are covered positionally, practically, let's, let's bring those before the Lord. And uh, you know what? The Lord said he was clean, doesn't need to be washed except for his feet. And our feet sometimes uh, trespass, don't they? Uh, we fall in sin and so forth. And God does not want us to be hardened to those things. Uh, we should have a, uh, a, uh, a sorrowful heart when that's the case. And then we bring that to the Lord and we say, okay, Lord, I, I erred in this. Uh, wash me of this thing specifically. Again, we, we have a secure salvation in the Lord. Uh, by his grace through faith, but it's not called a walk in him, and it's a good thing because, uh, you know, we can bring those things before him and get up and move forward in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's a glorious saying, the hope that we have in him. So that's what we're talking about tonight, and as we start here, we're going to look at some specific uh, sins that are talked about, and uh, th- these are sins that would really, in a way, kind of affect the whole camp, and uh, a lot of this uh, has to do with uh, Israel being set apart, being a nation set apart from the Canaanites, uh, being a people as well, even uh, practically set apart. And even a lot of these things the Lord told them not to do, it was not only to set them apart spiritually from the Canaanites, that they could be that nation whom the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come through, but also we're going to see these things were hygienic, a lot of them. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about if, if one touched something that was unclean, a uh, dead beast, uh, uh, human uncleanness, and so forth, uh, they were told not to do that. And if they did it again, and then they realized it, uh, it, it, was, it was sin. God told them not to do that. And so they would acknowledge that and so forth. And, and you know, there would be a ceremonial washing. There would also be an offering up of a sacrifice for that. <clears throat> but it was the Lord even trying to protect them. Uh, we know about microbiology now. They didn't know about that then. In fact, it's only been recently in history that uh, mankind has come to know about microbiology. And uh, that's why right now on, on Sunday morning, a lot of people are doing the fist bump, right? Or they're doing the Bash Brothers, you know. Remember Mark McGuire and Conseco? Because like you shake the hand and there might be some germs on that hand, right? Uh, I'm, I'm 99% I have allergies tonight, but I'm still doing the fist bump just out of out of common courtesy and whatnot. Uh, they didn't know about those things. And uh, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of deaths, probably could have, early deaths could have been prevented in the course of history. They, they would have died eventually, but if they would have known about microbiology and washing their hands and running water and, you know, not handling, uh, you know, things that were unclean. The Lord knows that, though. And so there's this ancient people God telling them all these things and commanding them not to do those things. And some can say, oh man, God's a bad guy. I can't go and rummage around in a stack of bones. But God was doing it to protect them. And I'll tell you, the same thing, the same's true with us. And those things God's called us to refrain from is because he's protecting us. He loves us. We have a good father, don't we? So let's read the first verse here. And we're going to spend a little time on this. I think there's some practical things to talk about and so forth in it. And then 
We'll make our way down to that trespass offering in about verse 7 or 8, so somewhere right there. It says, if a person sins in the hearing the utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. So he's talking here about an individual who took an oath, and then someone else was a witness of that oath, and they were also a witness to the fact that that person did not keep that oath, they did not keep that commitment that they had made to the Lord. That if they know of that matter, they know the oath was made and the oath was not kept. It says here, if he doesn't tell it, if he doesn't make, the no, make known the fact this guy's a sin, that he bears guilt as well. Now listen, this was being implemented not to create an environment of snitches and busybodies. Because it kind of comes off like that, right? If you know someone else has done something they shouldn't do, listen, if you don't tell on them, you're guilty. I, I know in my home there's a strict, there's a strict code. You listen, you don't tattletale unless it's the, they, there, there's a line, you know. There's a certain line that you need to report something across a certain line. Outside of that, listen, if you come over just some little thing and, and there's some squabble or whatever, you know, you, you, you know you're going to bear some guilt too, too for being a little, little snitch and a little tattletale. I'd rather have them try to work that out and so forth and have a heart to try to minister to their sibling and so forth than just to go and tell on them to get in trouble and so forth. Uh, the Lord's not trying to create that here. Uh, we saw there recently in, in 1 Thessalonians that we're to uh, strive to live a quiet life to work with our own hands, and what else? Not to be busy bodies. And I think individuals, uh, certain individuals running around as certain busy bodies, and they want to go and investigate and look and everything, looking for guilt, they're looking for fault and everything is to go report. God does not endorse that, uh, sanction that, or bless that. Uh, so what's going on here? If you know someone made an oath and, and they didn't share it, uh, you need to tell that or you bear guilt as well. And again, not to create that environment, uh, but why then would this be put forth? And I think there's several reasons why. Uh, number one, uh, to create a standard and a culture of holiness, to be set apart. Listen, we are called to be a people of our word. Uh, we'll see in a minute. The Lord has said, let our yes be yes and our no, no. And no doubt the pattern of the nations <coughs> around Israel uh, you know, these people were worshiping demons and uh, offering their children up on the altar of Moloch and uh, in gross sexual sin and witchcraft and everything else. Uh, I'm sure uh, recanting on your word was a very minor thing compared to all that other stuff. And uh, you know what? There, were, there was a culture of rebellion around them. God wanted them to be a culture of holiness, a culture set apart. They were a people to imitate God. And God keeps his word. And so it was being implemented not to have a big brother type state of people reporting on others, but to absolutely try to uh, bring a sense of holiness that if you stand up and you make an oath in the hearing of other people and you want to be proud of that or you know what, you made a mistake or whatever, you are going to be held accountable for that. So again, a culture of holiness. Secondly, to create that culture of of accountability to know again if an oath would be something listen i'm gonna do this so god help me i'm doing this in the name of the lord i'm bowing to god to you know what um to 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 you know bring a certain offering 
or to help an individual, whatever it would be that would be put forth there. So the Lord wanted to implement a culture of accountability to know, listen, as I make this oath, others are hearing me and I am going to be held accountable. And if I don't follow through with this oath, then I know that absolutely it's going to be reported. And I think it's a little different when you make a vow like that, knowing you're going to be held accountable versus just people running around and you're wondering, you know, who's snitching on me around here? Who are the busybodies and who aren't them? Because listen, myself, when I know busybodies around, I, I zip it up even all the more. Listen, I, I, you know what? It, it, no one likes that culture. That, that's not a godly culture, but accountability is a godly culture. And knowing if I say something, listen, that's on me. It'd be on the person making the vow. They're the ones standing up making the vow. So again, the person who heard that and saw it not follow through had an obligation to hold them accountable. And then when they went and they told, because if they didn't, guilt would be upon them. That's not on the person sharing. That's on the individual that decided to make a vow. They're being held accountable. Also, again, this was being implemented, I think, to create an understanding that sin affects others. And we got to purge out the leaven. Because if there was a culture, again, being created of individuals who did not keep the word, who would stand up in a pious setting and make some vow unto God and then recanted, listen, I guarantee you it would, it would be a culture. Listen, if you're not going to keep your word to the Lord, how are you going to keep your word to your neighbor and so forth? And so it was trying to create a culture where leaven was, was purged out. Where, where sin was quickly nipped in the bud and so forth. So bottom line, they had a call to have pure hearts and a pure camp, a pure nation to be set apart to the Lord. And as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord has called us as well to purge out leaven, to have accountability, to be a people who are striving and wanting to walk in holiness, wanting to walk in our call in Christ, not walking in legalism, and not walking as busybodies and snitches and so forth. It, I, it just despises me when people think that that is some kind of virtuous quality to run around and meddle in other people's business. It's just not whatsoever. I think by this point, you know what I think of snitches. Anyway, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, uh, and this is to us as the church, your glorying is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And this was a church that was very proud about the fact there was gross sexual immorality happening. And they were saying, oh, we're so gracious that we're allowing this to take place. A guy was sleeping with his father's mother. And not only was it gross sexual immorality, that's just gross. And Paul said, the world doesn't even do this. What's wrong with you guys? You guys are sickos. He didn't say that, but it's implied more or less. And then verse 7, he says, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you uh, truly are unleavened for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So it's kind of the same picture. God's wanting us to be a people that walk in sincerity, that walk in truth. Uh, the church should not be an atmosphere that is full of malice and wickedness. And uh, those things just, you know what, you know what? being lived out and walked in and just kind of it being accepted as, well, you know, that's just how it is. And so again, in this case, if someone heard that, they were to share it to help purge out the leaven. And listen, in our case, we've been called to purge that as out, out, out practically as well. But instead of starting with others, we need to always start with our own selves practically. 
you know, Jesus talks about getting the log out of our own eye before we start inspecting the speck in our brother's eyes. And I think it's very important in considering the trespass offering. It, again, it's that picture of practical sin. If you're in Christ Jesus, and I probably talk about this almost every single week because I think it's a concept that a lot of people don't really understand and grasp, and it's one that we need to be reminded of over and over again. If you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus and you've sincerely put your faith in him, listen, you're born again. You're covered by the blood of the lamb. You're saved by grace through faith. Glory, hallelujah. You're going to go be with Jesus. Positionally, you're right with God, but practically Christians still sin at times, don't they? And so, again, those things we want to bring before him. We don't want to be a people that are set apart for him, but live like, you know, the world. We want to be holy as he's called us to be holy and not with a, an attitude, again, of piety or pride or, you know, to put a Christian brownie button on or whatever else because he died on us. And that's where life's found, walking in cleanliness in the Lord. Again, with them, he kept them from unclean things to protect them and the same with us. As we read there in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 recently, you know, he commanded them to abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Because that might be pleasurable for a season, but bad things come out of sexual immorality in the long run, spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, so on and so forth. And so the Lord, when it comes to these practical things, absolutely wants us to get the log out of our own eye, you know, to ask the Lord to search our heart. Now, we don't want to have an over-focus on ourselves. We want our main focus to be upon the Lord, but it's a wise thing to step back, you know what, uh, if you can do it in a healthy manner, probably, uh, you know what, uh, uh, through the course of the day and and you know if there's just things that come up that you know outside of god's will then listen let's purge that out practically bring it before the lord hopefully hopefully there there's a little sorrow in that and then there would be a heart that would repent to say lord i want to lay this down you haven't called me to walk in this and if we're in that place where we don't want to lay it down have you ever been there before let's be honest we probably all have that we can at least say lord this thing's got a grip on me right now. I, I know it's not of you, and yet I'm walking in it, and I'm asking you to help me, to remind me deep in my heart the call you have on my life, and even increase my faith, Lord, that I would trust in you for the joy and for life versus walking in this thing that, you know what, has a <clears throat> grip on me. I'm believing the lie of it. And then from there, then from there we ask the question, what about sins of others? What about others in sin or sinning? What about others maybe in gross doctrinal error that they're promoting and, and putting out there and so forth? Um, you know, it, 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 uh, in purging these sayings out, it's the same concept. God's not wanting to create a culture of busybodies and, and fault finders and so forth. Uh, but no doubt in this call to purge out the leaven, it was a call to minister to others <coughs> and in some cases, to protect the body of Christ. And so, you know what? Three things here. What, hap- what should we do when we see a Christian brother or sister that, that's in sin? You know, that's what's going on here. Someone uh, witnesses someone in sin. They made a vow. They didn't keep it. In this case, with a vow to God, they, they were to go tell it or they bore guilt. Now, I, 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 this wasn't the case with everything, but in this particular manner, this was a a big issue and again it was to bring accountability to the person taking the vow so 
What about a Christian brother and sister in sin? And I say that because, you know what, people that aren't in Christ, they're sinners, and you know what they do? They're going to sin. They need Jesus. They need the gospel shared. Uh, The first thing we need to do is we need to pray for that individual. We need to lift them up to the Lord. Um, James 5.16, the first part of it says, confess your trespasses to one another. But I think we can also look at this starting with the next thing. It says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, if someone confesses and you pray for them, yeah, that's all the better. But I really believe as well, if we see someone in sin, we still have a call to pray for them that they would come to a place where they would want to bring that to the great physician themselves and be healed. And it is true, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. And so hopefully when we see a brother or sister in sin, we have a heart for them first and foremost to pray for them, to go before the Lord. I think that's the first thing, you know, in in most cases that, that we should do. Let's go before the Lord. And then secondly, we need to use some discernment. Um, Listen, there's some things that that's, some sins willful and it's blatant and it's grossly rebellious. Uh, it can be very harmful to others and so forth. And I'm not going to get into specifics, but those types of things, and we'll, we'll talk to this the, the third point here we need to address. But there's just a lot of stuff. It's just us being us. And did not the Lord or does not the scripture say, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. In other words, we're a work in progress. And I guarantee you, everyone in this room, if we were to walk around and analyze their life all day long, we're going to see some shortcomings. Can we say amen to that? Not that we're for that, but to the truth of that, right? And, And we'll take it a little farther. Could you imagine if all of a sudden the motives of our hearts and the thought of our mind was broadcast, broadcast to everybody, it would be an ugly, ugly, ugly day. It will be. I mean, because sometimes just the thought comes in and you dwell on it, and you're like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, what do I, Lord, okay, I should not be thinking that way, Lord, forgive me, wash me, and so forth. So listen, a lot of it, again, is, is that sin nature, though we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, and we need to use discernment. I think we need to step back, and, and we need to ask the question, uh, is this someone just in willful, blatant sin, uh, making provision for it, looking to bring others into it with a rebellious heart? Or is this an individual that's growing in the Lord and they're progressing and so forth, and they need me just to come along and encourage them in Christ and strengthen them more in the Lord? And uh, I, I believe this is where First John five sixteen comes in. It says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. And then he says, there is sin leading to death, and I do not say he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. And so there are certain things that are going to be there. They're not justified. to say, oh, you know, it's just us being us. We, we want to grow in him. But there's other things that are leading to death that's causing the death of others, the stumbling of others. He says, don't pray for them. You know, when you do them, you need to go and address them. You need to be able to differentiate and so forth. And sometimes maybe it's just a matter of talking with someone and not having some sad agenda of what you're going to do, uh, but, but you listen to someone and you try to see where they're at. And again, number three, first of all, we need to pray for them. Secondly, we need to pray and use that discernment and, and ask the Lord for direction, look at things biblically. Uh, you know what? 
be merciful as merciful has been given to us. Uh, none of it to want to enable sin and so forth. But if there is that sin leading to death or that gross sin, then we need to go to that person. You know, we, we go to them um, and we need to go with a heart wanting restoration, wanting to, calling them to repentance. Uh, you know, and, and doing it in a biblical manner. I'll just read a couple verses and then we're going we're gonna to go faster in the next verse. Uh, it says uh, in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and uh, this is Jesus' instruction here. Some of you are probably familiar with this. And there's some other uh, avenues as well, biblically, but oftentimes this is, you know, probably the, uh, you know, the one that's it's the first uh, option. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. And so you go to that person, again, having the log out of your own eye, and, and hopes they would repent. He says in verse 16, but if they will not hear, take with you two or more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, I think there's a difference between, between taking two or three witnesses and just taking two or three buddies. And I uh, dealt with a thing recently where a guy brought two or three buddies. They weren't witnesses to anything. And that doesn't mean squat. In fact, they didn't even know why they were there. I think this is utterly Ridiculous. You bring two or three witnesses to what's actually going on. And if they're not there, then you're probably uh, racing in front of the Lord. And then it says, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him be like you a heathen or a tax collector. So then, it, it, you know, it, that person, two or three witnesses, and then it's brought to the church. And if there's not repentance and it's a thing, then he says, treat him like a tax collector with me to be purge him out. Going back to Corinth, the guy that was sleeping with his father's mother, he didn't repent. I mean, his father's wife. Yeah. We're really getting out there now. Grandma. uh, It's his theology pill talking there. They they kicked him out. He wouldn't repent. And they're like, listen, you're getting the boot. They called him to repentance. And praise God in the second epistle, the man humbled his heart and he repented. And then he said, now it's time to bring him back in because he's, he's repented and so forth. But listen, it was a call to get this purged, another call to get a purge, a third call to get a purge, and they don't want to. So now we're not going to bring that in. That's not going to be in the camp. We, again, have been called to holiness, <clears throat> accountability, and to purge out these things that will affect others. Because Paul said, if you don't nip this in the bud... You're, you're going to have a sea of sexual immorality flood this place. Because if it's okay for a guy to sleep with his father's, not grandma, but, but, but wife, and listen, if you're going that far, who knows what else, then the next thing will be someone sleeping with their father's mother, you know? He said, you got to nip this in the bud. This isn't the standard. So again, and there's a difference between someone struggling with those things, coming before the Lord, Versus, in that case, it was being practiced and applauded, and they said, oh, aren't we so gracious and loving? We're open and affirming to men uh, who are sleeping with their father's wives. We're, oh, we affirm that. And you, 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 you know, these churches today that affirm gross sexual sin, homosexuality, and everything else, that, there's nothing loving about any of that. That's driving people away from Jesus Christ, not to the Lord who wants to wash them, forgive them, cleanse them, and so forth. And then lastly with this, Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brother, and if a man is overtaken in any trespass, notice here, you who are spiritual, restore such a one 
in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And I think that's where starting in prayer helps. Searching our own heart helps. That we go with a heart to want to see restoration uh, and, and so forth, um, you know, with, with an individual that, uh, you know, it, it is being called to that. Quickly here, verse 2. I, I don't <coughs> know if we'll get through the chapter tonight. We'll try to here, though. But I think that's important. I think there's a lot of truth, important concepts there, things for us to know. This, there's a lot of stuff very practical. So verse 2 and 3 says, Or if a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is a, the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock, <coughs> excuse me, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he's unaware of it, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human unclean, un, uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, he is unaware of it. When he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. So before he realizes it, he's covered by the sin offering. And then once he realizes it, now he needs to bring a trespass offering. Now he knows. And, you know, one thing about things that are unclean, if they were clean and they touched something unclean, they didn't make the unclean, clean thing, they didn't make the unclean thing clean, did they? But the unclean thing made them unclean as well. And we got to understand in our lives that we are to be set apart from unclean things. They were called to do this in part practically because if you go around and you, you continually are, are touching carcasses and human uncleanliness and so forth and later on in the law gets into some specifics about things that were unclean and guess what? God was spot on again scientifically. Those things are unclean that he deemed unclean. They, you know, with, with yeah, easy susceptible disease and so forth, uh, that this was implemented to protect them. And for us as well as followers of the Christ, he's called us, you know what, not to walk in and dabble in and practice things that are unclean. He hasn't called us to unclean activity and things, you know, things he deems sinful. Why? To protect us. That we would have a healthy walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's face it, sometimes... Uh, you know, you can be, you can know the Lord and be walking in things and unclean and not even realize it. And I, I would venture to say that if, if a black light, a spiritual black light was brought in, you know, those lights where you can see everything, don't ever take one of those into a hotel. I'll just leave it at that. I know you just say dinner, but, you know, people have, and you're seeing bed bugs and all, you know, that's why I like camping better. Anyhow, but if that, if that light was brought into us spiritually, I think we'd see a lot of unclean, un, uncleanness in all of us practically. Um, I know there's things in my life that I'm aware of that 10 years ago I wasn't aware of. And I believe that good work that God does, it's that process as we grow and then we think, oh, I'm over the hurdle. Then we come to another one, don't we? And God says, we're gonna deal with this now. And when we become aware of it, you know, there's a responsibility to it. I had a, a, a brother in the Lord. He, he, I've, we, we've been friends probably 25, almost 25 years. We were young Christian men uh, serving the Lord back in the day. And uh, when he got saved, he, he, first of all, he got saved. He had $50,000 of counterfeit money under his bed that he had to get rid of. And, and then, um, brother, he grew up in Oak Park. And then, um, and then he went to like the first or second Bible study and the, the pastor, uh, he said, you know, 
you, fornication is wrong. You can't be sleeping with girls if that's not your wife. And there's like 40 people, and he goes out, no way, you can't do that. <laughs> he was, he, no longer could he claim ignorance. And again, it came to his attention. And, and now he had to deal with it. Now he had to turn from it, and, and praise God, he's still walking with Jesus today, and that's a glorious thing. And so the Lord hasn't called us to uncleanness but holiness. First Peter uh, 1 Peter 1.13-15, it says, Gird up the loins of, loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, notice here, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, verse 4, he says, if a person swears, <clears throat> speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, if he's unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And this would be a little different. Verse 1 has to do with someone knowing they're making an oath, Verse 4 has to someone speaking thoughtlessly, whether good or bad, they pronounced they were going to do something. Uh, maybe they didn't realize what they were saying. Anyone ever say something, you didn't realize what you were saying. And then later, when he realized it, again, uh, now he needs to bring a trespass offering. When he doesn't realize it, praise God, he's under that sin offering. And now when you realize it, you got to deal with it. And again, this was God wanting to create a culture of holiness when it comes to the mouth, when it comes to the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, we don't create our future by putting our faith in our words. It's not powerful in that way, but our words absolutely can glorify God or blaspheme God. They can build up others. They can tear down others. I mean, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. He's a liar. I think oftentimes words and names do a lot more damage than stinking sticks and stones. Also, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36, but I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. By your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. And praise God in Christ Jesus, we are justified with that sin offering. And let's bring before him our careless words to say lord cover me lord as you are the fulfillment of all these offerings with a trespass offering so to speak as well lord i bring this before you you know god i lay it at your feet now the lord told us in matthew five thirty three, he says again you have heard that it was said of old you shall not swear falsely but you shall perform your oaths to the lord but i say you do not swear at all neither by heaven for it's god's throne nor by earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the uh, great, it is the city of the great king, nor swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And so again, we have that call to be mindful with our words. Are we glorifying God in our words? Are we misrepresenting the Lord with what we say, with how we say it? Uh, are we... Uh, keeping our word is your yes yes and your no no if it's not i guarantee you if you start making it aim to do what you said you are going to do it will change your life it will and if you're a person who is a flake who who your your yes is 
probably more of a maybe or a no. You need to stop that. That's, that's being a bad witness and it, it is harmful to other individuals. I'd rather have any day someone tell me, no, I can't do that, than say yes to try to appease me in that moment, knowing good well that they probably won't. Far better the other way. And no doubt this is also moving into, because he's talking about oath, uh, being careful with how we knew, use the Lord's name. Uh, in the new covenant, we too are called not to take the Lord's name in vain. And I think in taking the Lord's name in vain, a lot of people think of, you know, GD and JC and that. But listen, that can also be OMG and Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. And uh, you know what? There's just some people running around and everything they do. Oh, the Lord told me to do that. Oh, hammer turkey. The Lord told me turkey. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. I don't think the Lord's prophesying what type of sandwich you're supposed to eat. Um, I look at the prophets in the Old Testament, and I see them prophesying from time to time. Um, I think predominantly God speaks to us through the word of truth. And he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. You can eat whatever you want. You can eat turkey or you can eat ham. You have a free will in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I get really, really leery myself when out of every little thing, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord told me. I don't think the Lord told you a thing. That's taking God's name in vain. And so let's make sure that we don't start having catchphrases that are blaspheming our God. If you're mentioning his name, do you really mean that? When you say praise the Lord, are you really giving praise to the Lord? Or is that just something that just kind of flows off your mouth because you're the praise the Lord guy, whatever it is? These are, these are serious issues. And again, we, we need to examine our own hearts first and foremost in it. Now, five and six, he says, and it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for the sin which he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of the goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin and this was similar to the other sacrifices so we won't spend as much time with it but again they were to bring an offering each and every time when they realized they had trespassed now praise god uh, again jesus christ has laid it down for us once and for all and that's a glorious thing but we want to again come to the throne of grace we want to confess our sin because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Lay those practical things down, lest they hinder, you know, in our walk with the Lord. But think about this. Every time one of these things happened, they, they had to bring a, a, an offering. Uh, and if they could afford it, if they were, you know, as we, we'll talk more about in the middle, we talked about it before. If they were in a place where they had a flock, every time that would cost them a, a lamb or a kid of the goats, uh, that would get really costly, wouldn't it? In fact, in a minute, we're going to talk about restitution and interest as well on a lot of these sins. Uh, and, and there's a great truth here. You know what it is? Sin is always costly. It's always costly. It cost Jesus Christ his life. That's how costly it was. Now, he willingly gave, gave it, but, but Jesus' life was laid down because of the sin of man. That's how costly. That's what it cost to redeem us from our sin. Not silver or gold or the whole world, it took the shed blood of a lamb without spot or blemish, a sinless man. That, 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 is, that is how costly sin is. Sin brought death. And Jesus laid down his life and defeated death. Listen, sin oftentimes will cost us our peace, our joy. Proverbs says, he who, who sows iniquity, he's going to reap 
sorrow. Other times, again, it can cost us time. It can cost us rewards, I think earthly and, and heavenly ones. It hinders our, it costs us our witness or it can cost our witness, fellowship with the Lord, others. And for the unbeliever, you know what sin costs them? <clears throat> if, they, <clears throat> if they die in their sin, it costs them their soul. It's very costly. The Lord was trying to create a culture where they understood that, where they didn't take sin lightly. Seven, it says, and if he's not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. Now we've kind of already bounced ahead and talked about this in the other offerings. The Lord had a system in place where the priests and the elders were costly were more because their sin affected more people. Uh, same in certain sins, the wealthy, if they had more, they had to bring a bigger offering. Who, he who was given much uh, is required much. It was, they, you know, you couldn't be loaded and come with a couple birds. You had to bring a bull. It had to be a sacrifice. It had to cost you. Listen, the Lord laid down his life. It was a costly sacrifice. And if someone could just say, oh yeah, you know, get a couple birds out of the cage, then there, there's not going to be much of a, of a, of a lesson in the, in how costly sin is. But some people, listen, they didn't have a lamb. They didn't have a kid. So the Lord always makes a way. And if they didn't have that, if they were impoverished, they could bring two birds. One would be for the sin offering. Uh, the other would be for a burnt offering and a trespass offering. And we'll see in a minute here that if they, they couldn't afford that, they could bring five pounds of flour. And there was a way for them to be able to obtain it. But in all of it, the Lord made a way for whoever. And Jesus said, on the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way. And he's made the way for whoever, poor, rich, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female. And what is it? Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 8, it says, And he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first, so if they have multiple offerings, sin offering first, and ring off, or, or for the birds here, excuse me, and ring off its head from its neck, like a rock concert or something here, but it shall not be divided completely. So the head would come off, and again, you're like, man, that sounds brutal, but they wanted, there want to be an understanding that sin's costly. Sin brings death, and it's going to be your death, or it's going to be the death of one dying in your place. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the offering. We've talked about that. That's, that sprinkling of the blood would, would make the way for them to enter to the presence of the Lord. And the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin which he has committed. And it shall be forgiven him. So again, one would be for the sin offering, the other for a burnt or trespass offering. And then notice 10 through 13. <clears throat> but if he's not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he who sins shall bring uh, his offering, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. And he shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. You don't dress it up. Sin's ugly. Bring it as it is. Then he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take his handful as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. <clears throat> the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin that he has committed in any of these matters. It shall be forgiven him 
and the rest shall be the priest as a grain offering. So a handful would be offered up. The rest would be for the priest. This wasn't a wasteful thing. It was one of the ways that the, pe- the priest uh, had provision for himself and his family and so forth. But notice here, if you couldn't afford a lamb, you would bring two birds. And if you couldn't bring two birds, then you had to bring uh, a, a tenth of an ephah of flour. Uh, and I say ephah, not e. Ephod, I literally got a letter in the mail today of someone saying, I listen to you on the radio, I have to correct you. It's an ephah, fine flower, not an ephod. So I guess I slipped up last study and, you know, you come up here and talk for an hour and we'll write down all those little, little things too. So I appreciate a little grace and I, I also appreciate the correction because it was done in a spirit of love. So that person doesn't come here, but they listen on the radio, so they'll probably hear this. So I read your letter, so we're communicating in a roundabout way here, because I'm not going to write them back over that one. So, but notice here, the poor weren't just left off. They weren't just let off. It was like, well, they're poor, so, you know, they're righteous. Listen, it's the poor in spirit that are righteous, not just impoverished. And they were as much of a pack of sinners as the wealthy. Exodus 23.3, you should not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. And we're all going to give an account for God. Now, God made a way for even those that did not have access to a lamb from their flock or two birds. And I'm not going to read it, but Leviticus 19.9 talks about when they would go at harvest time, they were to leave the corners of the field for those that were poor to be able to come and glean from that. And then if you read Deuteronomy 24.19 through 22, when they were reaping the field, if, 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 a, if a sheave or a you know, and a sack of wheat fell off the cart, they had to leave that for the poor as well. And this was basically God's welfare system for those in Israel. But listen, they still had to work. And if you're like, well, I want you to bring that to me, you go glean it and then bring it to me. You go sit there, you're not going to have anything. And it was wise the way that it was done. We want to acknowledge there's some that have less. Maybe it's, you know what, just for whatever reason. And we want to provide for them, but you are still required to get up and to go work. And sadly today, uh, those types of principles are often not enforced. And I'll tell you, when they are not, they are detrimental to a culture. And they are usually not enforced to the benefit of a politician with a socialistic agenda. And, and, and we're seeing that right now in our own country. Where, you know, individuals with agendas are wanting to use people as pawns that, 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 you know, have less certain cultures and so forth. And it's not to their benefit. It is to those individuals' detriment. And oftentimes when they begin to realize that they, they sit back and they're like, I've been lied to my whole life. These people are not trying to help me. They're actually suppressing me and wanting to use me just to advance their agenda. And I can speak a whole lot more on that, but I don't have a whole lot of time and uh, I'm probably wiser not to right now anyway. So verse 14 through 16, uh, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, <clears throat> then he shall bring to the Lord as a trespass offering a ram without blemish from his flocks. Notice here, And your valuation in shekels of silver according to a shekel of the sanctuary as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm he has done in regard to the holy thing. And he shall add one-fifth to it, <clears throat> give it to the priest. 
So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven him. So this was in a case where the sin was costly to the holy things of the Lord. So someone does something they should not do, and it is costly to the work of the ministry. Not only would he have to bring a ram without blemish for a sin, but he would also have to bring the payment of whatever the cost that was incurred because of their sin, plus 20% interest on top of that. Sin is costly. But this would also show fruits of true repentance. Restoration would have to be paid. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins. Why? So that we could be restored under right relationship with God. Some people say, well, why couldn't God just say, I forgive you because there was a price that had to be paid. And God works and operates in truth and he operates with balanced books. There was a cost that had to be paid to satisfy the justice of the Father. Jesus shed his blood. And for them, if their sin absolutely was with regard to the holy things of God and a cost was incurred, it wasn't enough just to bring the ram for a sin. He also needed to, to pay for his sin because uh, someone had to pay for it, plus 20% on top of that. And listen, uh, with, with real repentance always comes a heart that wants to bring restoration. And we need to know, you know, if someone sins against you and, and it's something that, that costs you practically, um, and, and, all, and uh, just an I'm sorry with no practical effort to right or wrong isn't much of an apology. It just isn't. That's a cop-out is what that is. Oh, I broke your windshield. Sorry, we'll see you later. Well, who's going to pay for that windshield? And there's a lot of people, they roll that way. They just go around breaking stuff up. Oh, I, I said I'm sorry. Well, that's not going to fix the windshield, son. You got to get in here and do that. And, and you know, why don't you tack on some tint on those side windows too for a little bit of, little bit of interest on top of that, you know? <laughs> Think about Zacchaeus, uh, you know, the wee little man. He tried to climb the sycamore tree to see Jesus. He was a tax collector. Listen, Zacchaeus, we think of him a wee little man. Listen, he was a wee little thug is what he was. He went around and he, 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 he extorted people. And then in Luke 9, 8, he said, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restored fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house because he also was a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Now, why would the Lord say today salvation has come to your house? Because it showed that Zacchaeus, salvation didn't come, you know, necessarily from what he did, but what he did was the product of his true repentance. The fact he truly was sorry for his sin, for being a little, a wee little thug. He realized I've sinned God's restored me. I need to go pay back all these people fourfold what I've thiefed from them over all these years. And Jesus said, today salvation's come because the fruit of repentance was there. And there should be the fruit of repentance when we really repent. Think about the Pharisees. They came out there to John the Baptist and he called them a a brood of vipers. And he said, go show the fruit of repentance. I don't buy you just being out here. You're out here for the crowd, for the pomp. You're out here to get recognized Go show the fruit of repentance. And uh, 
You know what? Maybe a few of them actually did, but they were called to the carpet on it. Finally here, it says in verse 17, it has to do more with restoration. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty, he shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. So again, it called a restoration. And then as you get deeper in the law, you'll find that there is to be restitution with interest as well if someone costs their neighbor something. If, if someone, uh, you know, borrows something and would go and they would break it. Or if they stole, they, they would, they, they, if, you, if you committed petty theft in Israel, you didn't go to prison. But, but, well, you could go to debtor's prison, but basically you went and you had to give back what you stole and plus interest. Because they didn't want a bunch of people have to take care and feed a bunch of people in county jail for petty theft. That's not doing the guy any good who got his, his uh, livestock stolen. You'd have to go restore that. Or, and, and pay restitution, or a lot of them would become slaves of that person until the debt was worked off. And uh, it was a far better system versus a double theft in that you're going to steal from culture, and then we're going to put you up with cable TV and three meals away a, a day and, a, and an exercise program, you know, uh, and, and you know, anything basically you probably want one way or another getting into your hand. You know, that, that, that doesn't... The, the other, making people not go and work it off, is, is a way better process to rehabilitate somebody than, than the other. So the, a lot of this, listen, a lot of this translates over, and you even need to know, and there's controversy with, with some of these guys, whether they were really believers or masons, and some of them were really believers, and some were masons, but our country was, for the most part, founded on godly principles. And as we go through the law, you're going to see how much of this stuff was implemented into our nation and when these types of things are practiced even today you know it in the most of them in, in you know in a, in a different application but the same truths it's a wonderful thing because god's word is absolutely true so let's stand up right now and and pray and uh and then you guys can fellowship and and uh get your kids and whatnot so lord god we thank you and praise you we thank you for our study here in Leviticus, and Lord, so many things here for us to consider. Lord, I just hope and pray we'd be found as a people who, who Lord, want to walk with you. And we thank you, Lord, you want to help us in it. And uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you are our sin offering, you are our trespass offering. And Lord, indeed, in you, we have salvation, and we have access to the holy of holies to uh, just, just, just to bring all things before you, God. Listen, if you're here and you haven't called on the name of Jesus Christ, Today is the day of salvation. And he is, as we talked about uh, just a short bit ago, he is the only way. Our sin separates us from God, and Jesus Christ is the only one that dealt with the issue of sin. And to be saved, we have to humble our hearts, uh, turn from what our God is, our own way, and ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior with that heart to say, Lord, I want you to rule and reign over my life. I want you to be my God. Uh, I yield to you. And indeed, uh, whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And if that's you, I can't encourage you enough. 
to even call on him tonight because none of us know what tomorrow holds or even this next hour holds. And so again, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.